So, first of all, I suppose the three communities that you've kind of um, focused on in the documentary, is there is there a relationship between them on the ground, between you know local fishing communities and in terms of like a movement? No, they're terms completely of battling. Like what's what's happening? There, there, there's completely no connection with them at all, which is kind of why I I picked communities in Norway and in Newfoundland I mean for me the motivation to do this doc was that I'd done this doc called a pipe about a small community in this very rural part of Ireland called Rossport and how this oil company and the might of the state had just come in on top of them and just tried to railroad through them and all the chaos all that ensued but it was sort of what decisions were made how did we come to this situation whereby a community was just kind of completely torn apart and turned upon itself. Um, and those were, those were issues I didn't explore in the pipe. I didn't explore how our resources had been managed or what decisions were made that have had these massive effects on small communities. Decisions made far, far away. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of wanted to know more kind of politically in terms of environmentally also, what was happening, you know, over the horizon with oil and gas and oil and gas in our waters. And as I started to look into that, it brought me into the story about the fishing and in contact with fishermen. And then I started looking at, com- at the experience of Norway and then the experience of Newfoundland. And it just grew and grew and grew and it kind of got out of control. So instead of trying to tell one story, I had about 10 different stories yeah. that I was all trying to hang on to. Yeah. And follow those stories through and then try and bring that back into a narrative. So, um, and I suppose what kind of evolved out of that was that the fishing communities in the different parts of the Atlantic weren't that different. They might have different accents or different ways of doing things, but they were very similar. The people were very similar. The fishermen were very similar. Uh, and fishermen are very kind of unique kind of people, but they're all very similar. What was different was how their livelihoods and how their resources and how their communities had been respected and treated by those who were supposed to stand up to them and speak for them. In Norway, very good. In Newfoundland, badly at the start, but then they learn from their mistakes. And in Ireland, just a repeat of the same mistakes over and over again. And the awful impact that that, that had on these communities. You know, literally ripping the souls out of the community. Um, and no responsibility taken at political level. You know, no guts taken to actually see, could we do something about this? Yeah. I suppose, like, over-harvesting of the seas has kind of had massive repercussions for biodiversity the world yeah. over. Yeah. Um, what were the main differences that you saw between, say, coastal communities in Ireland and, and Newfoundland and, and the, the effects, the immediate effects on on these communities? I know yeah. there was there's huge amounts of migration, mm. you know, social Well, the interesting thing was about, about Newfoundland is that in, in Newfoundland, there's a whole part of Newfoundland, they call it the Irish Shore. Uh, south of St. John's, the capital. And you've all these villages that have been settled from different parts of the southeast. So you might get one village that's been settled by people from around Dunmore East, another from part of Kilkenny. And because up to about 50 years ago, there was no roads between these places. Yeah. They maintained their accents. You know, did you come to the bit with the Newfoundland fishermen and the funny kind of yeah, accents? Yeah, yeah. Very much like kind of a Waterford Wexford yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that, was, that was just mad. Like these people with names like Kane and Flaherty and everything. and. Yeah. It was just like a little piece of the Southwest transported to North America. It was kind of surreal. Yeah. Um, but I suppose it was the parallels that really struck me was that in Newfoundland, like in Ireland, the, the control of the resource, there was never an issue before. The control of the resource was handed away to big interests 
for reasons beyond the good of the community there. And in Newfoundland, what happened was you had, in return for the opening up of markets to the, the grain growers and the agriculturalists of, the, of central Canada, basically they handed over and they used, a, used the fishing of the Grand Banks as a bargaining chip. So they handed over the you know, massive quotas of Spanish and French and Dutch super trawlers and it cleaned out the Grand Banks to stop the stock collapsed and overnight hundred thousand livelihoods evaporated. You can imagine you're in a, a village that is completely dependent on the cod, the cod industry and cod processing and all of a sudden that's, that's, that's gone overnight and it was just their, their lives it was disappeared in front of their very eyes and it was that's chaotic. With, uh, with John, John Crosby's announcement that yeah. you know from, from 12 o'clock midnight there's an embargo on mm. cod fishing like that's you know. And it was a great thing having access to a lot of CBC archive, because yeah. CBC are a kind of a, a funder and a supporter of this, yeah. having access to that really raw archive. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard to tell a story retrospectively through a talking head, but when you have that archive that brings it to life, you know, that was, that really brought the drama and emotion, yeah. you know, into it. Um, and then, like, we're looking at Ireland today, with the exact same situation. We have, we've virtually given away our fishing resources without heed to the massive, massive wealth of it. Yeah. Um, and you have super trawlers up and down the coast day and night cleaning it out. Yeah. Uh, not, not only what they're taking legally, which is billions, but what they're dumping illegally, or what they're taking you know, out of it illegally. And that was something which I really tried hard to highlight. That here you have, like, sorry to drop, nope. here, here you have five fishery officers running around <laughs> and, and hiding behind rocks in Donegal to catch one lone fisherman you know whether he's pulling a, 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 a poached salmon out of his net or not or you know whether a salmon gets caught in his net while he's fishing for some something else and um, five fishery officers chasing him trying to catch him out for a salmon or two and yet these big super trawlers that are catching massive amounts and that have proven to be operating illegally time and time again there's no observers there's pretty much very very little the Irish authorities can do the Irish fishing authorities don't even know what quota these super trawlers have. Like you can board a boat, an Irish boat, a small Irish boat, medium, medium, even the biggest Irish boats. You can say, right, what quota have you got? And you can check what they have on board. If, they're out, if they've one fish out of quota, they'll be dragged through the courts, they'll be criminalised. They'll be brought as criminals. And with Dutch boat, they go on board, go, can I see your logbook, please? They, they show them the logbook. They take the skipper's word for it. They can't ask what quota they have. Because in their countries, they can trade quotas between the boats and between the country. It's up to the country to look after the quota. So they can't know how, many, how much fish they're supposed to catch. So they can't catch them for legal fishing. They can't go down to the freezer below because all the fish is processed, boxed away, and the freezer's minus 50 below. They can't really inspect them, you know? Mm-hmm. So this illegality is going on. And despite the best efforts and fairness of the Irish fishery protection, they, they can't. Yeah, so having said that, what's your, what's your opinion on the, the common fisheries policy reform? I haven't really got into that. I mean, yeah. okay, there's, there's, I, I think the big issue I tried to get across in this doc isn't trying to get into the, the minutia of fishing policy because it is so complex and it's so multi-layered. Yeah. Um, there's one big thing that happened. It was, when I've looked at the different countries, it was the giveaway of a resource and the impact that that has had. The giveaway not only of the, the amount of fish, let's say the proportion of fish, but the giveaway of control over the resource give way of the, the ability to be able to effectively police that resource and the impact that has had on communities. Now, the, the common fisheries policy is so complex and 
so flawed that I don't know where, where you would start. Yeah. You know, it's, it really is. And the main thing is it's it's the big the big countries and the big powerful fishing companies, they're the people who drive that, that policy. You go over to Europe for the fishery negotiations like we were, and it's the big fishing companies. It's the, it's the big operators. They're the ones who have the power. They have the clout. It's like Martin Ain said on the boats, you know. He said, um, fishing isn't done at sea anymore. It's done at, at tables and boardrooms in Europe. And it's true, like, you know. Those super trawlers, that before they leave port, that fish is caught and sold, you know. Yeah. They know exactly what they're catching and they know what they need to throw away. Mm. And I suppose, given that Ireland has kind of Europe's prized fishing ground, yeah. is there, is it is it crazy to think that there, is, is there any way to reverse? Ah, oh, there is always. Is. You look at the... What's you, happening in terms of like, mm. you know, exhausting the resources? Well, you saw like in the film where Danny Williams, the Premier, originally he ordered all the Canadian flags to be taken down from government buildings. There's a bit where actually, okay, they learned a lesson from the oil, from the from the fishing, the fishing collapses. So when it comes to the oil, big oil is found in the Grand Banks, the same fishing grounds, and Central Canada say, right, it's Canadian waters, that's ours. I mean, Canada joined as a province, become Canada in '49, so they handed over control of their their fishing and their their offshore. But they said, no, that's not fair. So we lost our fishing because he managed it. We're going to hold on to this oil. We want our fair share from this oil. So basically, when the Canadian government goes, no, we'll control the oil, we'll deal with the big oil companies, and you'll get your little crumbs on the table off that. He said, no, so we're going to leave Canada. So they ordered all the Canadian flags to be taken down from the government buildings. He said, we're not going to, we're not going to be pushed around that board with the fishing. We want our fair share from this. And the government conceded, and that meant that Newfoundland was able to benefit very significantly from the oil resources off the shores. Now you can see Enda Kenny going over to <laughs> taking down the European flag from government buildings, can you imagine? There is not that uh, political courage in Ireland to take on big interests, to take on Europe, to take on the big banks, to take on you know the big oil companies, the big fishing companies. There's not that courage, there's, there's a lack of um, there's a lack of confidence in the politicians to take on big interests like that. And look, you saw it with the, the, the big bondholders. They got paid back in full and that debt was transferred to the to 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 me and you and to our kids and grandkids and some generations, you know. So I, I mean I don't expect that to change from the stock. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to see what the positive is. It'll make people angry, but it'll make people aware, at least people will know how a hundred years after our state was, you know, began its path to statehood, how our leaders have consistently let down our people and put the interests of big interests ahead of, you know, the people they were voted to, to, to serve. And we've seen it in Norway, you know, in Norway they have their own flaws, don't get me wrong, but at least our politicians uh, made that decision to a point to have done right by, yeah, yeah. But also the Norwegian people make sure that, you know, often people are too willing to stand back and blame politicians. Oh, it was Bertie, you know, or oh, it was Enda, oh, he's a bollocks, like. But people don't get engaged. They don't get out and actually fight that their interests are protected. So it's, it's they say you get the politicians you deserve. You know, we're happy to, 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 to allow these politicians to be voted in. Of course, no one voted for Bertie. Aliens came out from space and voted for, you know, nobody would admit. But yet we allow these politicians to, to, to determine our futures, our generation's futures. I suppose when you look at, like, uh, Norway, you know, and the the protections that were implemented, mm. and now 
you know, their oil fields are being drained and they're moving north where yeah. where, where all the fishermen are and they're having, yeah. you know, the, the seismic work that's being yes, done on yeah. oil rigs and the effect that that's having on yeah. fishing communities. Well, you see, Norway, like, again, the thing with Norway is they were the poster child. Not only with their oil and gas, but their fishing. They were in negotiations when we were to join the EU and the politicians signed up, albeit with a better deal for fishing. But their people rejected Their people said, uh, our, our seas are not going to be Europe's seas. They said, that's where our wealth is. We have to protect our oceans. I was up. They voted against joining Europe. And well, they did for them. Like, mm-hmm. um, But, so Norway has always been the poster child of resource management. Yeah. And they've always been seen as a shining light when it comes to dealing with oil and gas. But, when they, but now you see, the, the oil in the south has been exhausted. The, these massive, massive oil fields that, you know, made Norway so rich. Um, and now they're having to move north, which causes conflict because they're coming into conflict. The oil in the north is in these very rich fisheries. So they're coming into conflict with very, very rich, sustainable fisheries. So now Norway's kind of dirtying its bib, you know? Yeah. Uh, and it's a real dilemma. And it's, it, it's a pattern that Norway has to choose. You know, do they continue along the path of oil or they, do they look for more sustainable ways of sustaining their country and it's a real polarizing argument in Norway at the moment um, and into that mix which affects us all is the price of oil has gone through the floor yeah. and this boom and bust and the oil will price of oil will come up again and exploration offshore will become you know more lucrative but this boom and bust cycle of lots of money and then laying off people lack of investment then the oil price goes up loads of money the impact that that has on communities is so destructive yeah. and the message of the film really is that they sort of really protect you know livelihoods and communities and keep keep mm-hmm. these costly economies going you really have to look at a more sustainable model yeah. and proper fishing practices uh, is part of the way to go you know yeah. and I suppose when you think about you know the immediate effects of um, mining for oil and, mm. and fishing and, and the effects that they're having on on, on local communities and um, one of the fishermen in, in your documentary and said that you know the one thing that we all need is food yeah yeah the one thing that we all you know can't do without is food um is the which in your opinion after all your research is more of a threat to local populations overfishing or or the the mining of gas and oil? Um, the, the big problem with seismic blasting is that it's a subject that hasn't really been covered. Yeah. There's very little research on it. Like we know that that um, artificial noise, be it sonar from submarines, be it explosions from military, um, other types of unnatural sounds in the sea can cause big impacts on whales, can cause death of whales, it can cause you know, massive change in behaviour of fish and where they feed, and the food for fish and the food for whales. But the problem is that, like we know all this and we, we know anecdotally that, you know, it, it should have a big impact on whales. I mean, often specific cases where this kind of activity has led to the death of whales and beaching of whales and different things. But the research isn't there. It's offshore, it's very hard to, to research properly. The oil companies are very, very close with their information, with their equipment. So this is an area that needs massive research. But the problem is, and I've seen across the universities across the Atlantic, is that not only do the oil companies not play ball, but they're putting so much money 
into universities that are in these oil places around the Atlantic that there's, there's a, a real resistance and a lack of support of any, any research that would go against the oil, oil business. Yeah. Like the, the, the professor in, uh, in Newfoundland, he's pretty much a pariah in St. John's because he's trying to speak up against the oil industry. But he's looking around. The oil industry are funding a big new engineering building. Graduates, they're pumping money everywhere. Yeah. Their their universities are washed with money. And this this. Um, and that's where the money is coming from. And they're not going. And he he wanted to um. Get research funded, for let's say if you want to get research funded for um. Research into. Into the impact on fisheries or whales, he couldn't. But yet, they'll be there. Well, look, we'll um we'll fund you uh, a big number of money to do research. And how we stop birds pooping on the rigs, like that's that was he was offered, you know, and um, research money. The the University of, of British Columbia actually um, released data that suggested that the um, deficiencies in Irish uh, fishing was a complete myth. The deficiencies, yeah, that, as, that, that, as in the stocks, as, as in the stocks, as in as in that you know mm. that it wasn't happening at all, basically. Yeah. Just well, you have so many different stocks. Like you have mackerel, which appears to be very healthy at the moment. But the Dutch are hoovering them up, and not the Dutch companies, let's say, all boats from different parts of Europe. And we don't know what impact that's going to have. I mean, the cod has gone from the Irish Sea, and we're all dependent on you know these um, like prawns and kind of bottom feeders. But so most of the diversity of the Irish Sea is gone. But you have it's, it's kind of fished out. Uh, herring is under massive pressure. You've this fish, boarfish, which Coveney was trumpeting not too long ago, uh, and that stock of that has collapsed. You know, like often it's too late before you realise the stock has collapsed. In Newfoundland, it was too late. If you don't understand the science, if you don't understand the fisheries, you can't you can't manage it properly. So time and time again, not only Maryland in Newfoundland, we've seen that poor management. Um, and trying to use science, you know, use the science that suits you, will inevitably, inevitably often lead to an, uh, over overstretching yourself with fishing and leading to a, to a collapse of the stock, rather than sustainably fishing it. And it, it's, it really is the thing that even Greenpeace never are looking at. Like fishing is so important, but you've got to sustainably fish it, and you've got to take the precautionary principle. And if you if you hold back just a little you'll benefit in the long term because the stocks will rebound, you know. If you fish just a little bit less of change your own species, give place a chance to, to rebuild yeah. and actually police fishing properly. Mm-hmm. And you gotta police it from the very bottom to the very top. Yeah. Uh, and if you have the massive wastes that's going on to, at, on the bigger boats, there's only one way the stocks can go. You know? We've learned we should have learned our lessons by now. That 84% of, of fish being thrown overboard by you know these international trawlers, mm. that's been a huge problem. And there's a, a new report out lately is that the amount of overfishing around the world has been grossly underestimated. I mean, stocks around the world, and you can you can always pick out one or certain stocks or certain signs and justify fish being healthy with that. Mm. Same way as like say the, the Tea Party, you will think that the world is getting cooler and, and global warming is a conspiracy. But if you look at the overall science, it's clear and obvious that the sea is under massive pressure, stocks under massive pressure, the life of the ocean is under massive, massive pressure. Right? What inspired you? I probably should have started with this question, but what inspired you to, um, to take on this project? I mean, it was again. I kind of did the pipe, and I, I sort of wanted. I felt it was unfinished business. The pipe, then what, what's your own background? Are you from a fishing community? No, you... I'm from. Well, I'm from Tipperary, which is about 
Charlie's is about as far from an ocean as they're going to get. But I'd always spend all my summers up at my uncle's in Mayo, yeah. just near Rossport. And he's a farmer, like, so he'd be on the farm, and you know, never really, you know. He's right up beside the sea, his land goes down to the sea, but never really had a massive interest in fishing. I never really knew an awful lot about it, you know? Yeah. And it was only through the pipe and, and filming with this fisherman, Pat, Pat O'Donnell, and kind of got an inkling into the unfairness of fishing. Yeah. How the small man was being squeezed and squeezed and squeezed, and basically treated as a nuisance, and he just wanted him out of the industry. Yeah. <clears throat> and, but really, like, when I did the pipe, it was about oil and gas, and it was about you know, politics and security and how a state would treat its own citizens. Um, but during that I started interviewing people and trying to get to know a bit more of the bigger picture about the resources, about the politics of it all. And uh, I interviewed this guy Justin Keating, who was in the dock, who was Minister for Energy, who actually tried to bring in a Norwegian style resource policy. But he was got rid of and then his, his terms in the 70s were, were torn up. And of course, then we had, you know, the Fianna Fáil basically handing over massive control to the oil companies and making the same mistakes as we made with the fishing. I was like, well, how do we keep making this happen? So this was the motivation. And I don't want to say I did it with a whole lot of enthusiasm, but there was kind of unfinished business. I kind of yeah, felt I had to get this out of me. Once you start digging yeah, things yeah. like this, then it yeah. just reveals itself. I couldn't call it labour or love, like, but it just had to happen. Someone and I had to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're currently funding again, is that right? To finish it? Yeah, we finished. We got crowd. We, we raised. We broke the Irish crowdfunding record. We, I was just going to say you were going for a record. So we got fifty-six thousand in total from different, and then the film board matched that then, and uh, we also got support from Canada and from Norway. Right. So the, the Canadian and Norwegian broadcasters and film funds there as well. Okay. But. Um, like it's it's still it's been a massive massive challenge you know yeah. to, with the funding we have to make to make this and even still trying to finish it and, yeah. but I mean you look you, you, you sign up to these things you do them and you, you do what you can with what you have you know and it's it's a lot of hard work and a lot of kind of graft and yeah absolutely so what's next for you then are you, are you is there anything else on the on the horizon on the horizon no I just want to really get this out like because it's like kind of Burn myself out with it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 very. I don't mean winter, but it's just a, I need to get some space. Yeah. I kind of re. Cause, you know, I've I've two kids and I've like it's been massive debt from this as well. I just need to get back working, shooting, do what I do like a cameraman and get back to some kind of routine. You know, I have two kids in school and it's just last year's been very very chaotic. You know. Yeah, I can imagine. And, yeah. Okay, well we'll wrap it up there. Brilliant. Thanks a million, Richie.